Andrew Womack Ministries presents Part 5 in the How to Fulfill God's Will series, a five-part album. This message is titled, Hope and Imagination. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 1. This is my last message in this series. This, and as I've said, how many of you are new? This is the first service you've made all week. Could I see your hand? Praise God. Still got probably close to 100 people. Uh, I started a series in Orlando back in February and preached on how to find God's will. And then I went to Atlanta and taught on how to follow God's will, how to hear His voice, how to be led by the Spirit and different things. And this series has been about how to fulfill God's will. And actually, in a way, this is the most important. It's, it's hard to say what's most important because you can't fulfill God's will if you hadn't found it. So it's absolutely essential to find God's will and then learn how to listen to Him and follow His voice. But there are a lot of people that start out well and God reveals things to them, but they just fall by the wayside. Matter of fact, the majority of people, one of the statistics I quoted, 80% of ministers who start in the ministry or out of the ministry within five years. And then of the 20% left, 80% of those are ready to quit and give up. And so the statistics are that very few people ever finish their course with joy. They are struggling along the way. And, and uh, we just have an opposition. There is a demonic opposition against us finishing. And it's not going to happen accidentally. It's not going to happen while you just enjoy life and float downstream. If you're going to finish your course, you're going to have to turn around, swim upstream. It's going to take some effort to go against the current. So I've been teaching on that. I taught on obedience. I taught on patience. And then I've been sharing out of Romans chapter 1 how that he said that there are things that we have to do to decrease what God has done in our life, to deaden ourselves to it and to walk away from it. And so I'm turning this around and saying if you will not do these things, instead if you will do the opposite of those things, you can continue in the things of God. You can keep the vision of God fresh in your heart. And this is what I've been teaching on. If you've missed any of this, please get all of the teaching. We have the two previous Gospel Truth Seminars where I taught on how to find and how to follow God's will. And you need this whole thing. It'll be tremendous. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says there are four things here that people do to walk away from God, to decrease what God has done in their life. And the first thing it says in verse 21, it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. That's what I taught on last night. And then the second thing, they weren't thankful. And that's what I talked about today. I tell you, that was powerful. You need to maintain a thankful heart. And then the third thing he says is that their, um, their imagination became vain. They became vain in their imaginations. And let me just say again that these are not disconnected things. They're sequential the first thing that happens is we let something else occupy our attention and we start valuing the opinion of other people or we start valuing our house or our home and we, we get misplaced values and when that happens then our value and glorification of God comes down in something else and that's why we lose things. The next step is that you quit being thankful and really being thankful and glorifying God are very closely related. And I was talking today about that you can't truly glorify God unless you are thankful. You've got to be a thankful person. You've got to rehearse your victories. You've got to make monuments and remember the good things that God has done. Or you will forget. It's our tendency to forget. 
And so those two things are related. And likewise, this thing about your imagination, your imagination will automatically become vain. That doesn't mean it won't work. It means it'll work against you instead of for you. It'll begin to start imagining failure instead of imagining success. And it's just an inevitable sequence here. If you don't really put the worth and the value on God that you should, if you aren't appreciative of him, if you are letting other things compete for that number one spot in your life, then you become unthankful. And then the next step is that you become vain in your imagination. Let me real quickly just spend a little bit of time talking about your imagination because that's not clear to a lot of people. Uh, A lot of adults think that, you know, man, I don't want to talk about my imagination. I'm an adult. I don't fantasize. I don't do things like this. There's a difference between fantasy and imagination. As a matter of fact, I wrote down in my Bible here the definition of imagination. It says it's the process or power of forming a mental image of something not real or present. Now think about that. It's the process or the power of forming a mental image of something not real or present. Like say for instance... If I was to ask you what your uh, house is like and say, how many doors do you have in your house? Most of you have never sat down and counted how many doors you have in your house. You haven't ever done that. But you know what? You have a mental image of your house and you could sit there and in your mind count the doors. Let's just talk about outside exterior doors on the first floor, if you have a multi-story house. How many doors do you have? You know what? You've never counted them, but you could sit there and in your mind, you could go and count the front door and the back door if there's a side door and you can count it. You aren't seeing that with your physical eyes, but you've got an image on the inside. That's your imagination. The ability to see something with your mind or your heart that you can't see with your eyes. If I was to ask you directions, how do you get from here to the airport? Some of you don't have a clue, but if you had a clue, you know what you do? You'd say, well, you go out here and you turn left and you go to this light and you go down. Let's see, it's three lights. It's either three or four lights. You know what you're doing? You're looking at it. That's your imagination. Some people think, no, I don't have an imagination. You can't function without an imagination. You think in pictures. If I say apple, You don't see A-P-P-L-E. You see an apple. And some of you might see a green apple. Some of you might see a red apple. There's all kinds of different apples. And with my words, I could begin to describe it. And words would paint a picture for you. And you could see and picture that. But you know what? If you can't picture something, you can't understand it. You can't retain it. If you can't form a mental image, which is your imagination... You cannot understand something. This is the reason that when they write out instructions, they will give you written instructions, but they'll have illustrations there because a picture is worth a thousand words. They can say, join A to B. And you say, man, how do I know which one is A and B? And, but then you look at a picture and it's got the ends labeled and all of a sudden you can see it. If you can picture it, then you can do it. This is why they build blueprints. We're in the process of building these buildings. And you know what? We have sat down for hours and looked at the auditorium and we have thought about, no, I like it this way and I like it this and how tall do we want this to be? 
You know what we're doing? We're forming a mental image. If you can't see it, you can't build it. I built a deck on my house and I'm not a builder, but I just thought I could do it. I just wanted the challenge of building a deck. And I built about a four level deck on my house. And I used to put a bucket out there and sit on this bucket. And for hours, I would look at that bare spot where the deck was going to go. And I didn't have a blueprint or anything. So I just looked at it and I was praying, how do I want this to be and thinking about it? And how many braces do I want? And if they're 18 inches apart, how many do I need? And I'd sit there and I'd write this out. And you know what? I was picturing that. And once I saw it on the inside, then I went and built it. This is how they build houses. Some of you think that an imagination, I don't need an imagination. That's for little kids. No, an imagination, you can't function without it. You can't give directions without it. You couldn't remember how to get home if you didn't have an imagination. You have a picture of how things work. You can't explain anything. You know, this is why some people, if you don't have an imagination, this is why some people can't deal in abstract things such as uh, mathematics. They struggle with mathematics because to them it's just numbers. They can't picture anything. But a good teacher, instead of saying... Two plus two is four. Now get this. Instead, what they'll do, they'll take two apples and they say, here's two apples. And then if you have two apples and they, if you can get a person to picture it and see something, all of a sudden they can understand how it works and they can see the relevance of it. But some people see, don't illustrate. This is what makes a good teacher is when you can paint a picture with words and get people to see things on the inside. But if you can't see it on the inside, you can't see it on the outside. If you can't ever grab hold, if you can't see yourself healed, you'll never be healed. There's a lot of people see that they know that God can heal, but the truth is they see themselves in their imagination sick. They see themselves suffering. They've been sick so long, they dream sick. In their dreams, they're sick. You know what's happened? Your imagination is still working but it's working against you instead of for you. It's vain. And once that happens, you can't see anything happen without your imagination. The next definition of imagination is the creativity or inventiveness. You can't create without an imagination. The third definition is resourcefulness. Did you know that the word imagination is used about 63 times, I think, in the Bible? And some of the words that are used, like the Greek, I mean, the Hebrew word, yestar, I think is the way you pronounce it, Y-E-S-T-E-R. The Hebrew word, yester, is used four times in translated imagination, such as Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, where it says that God looked and the imagination of man's thoughts were only evil continually. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 18 talks about keep this in the imagination of their thoughts. David prayed that when he gave an offering, he gave an offering of about $1.2 billion out of his personal account. He had already given the equivalent of, I don't know, something like $100 billion of gold and silver from his treasury uh, in the government. But then he gave a personal offering of about $1.2 billion. The people got so touched to see what he did that they spontaneously started giving. And all of a sudden they just started pouring money in and altogether they raised nearly $5 billion in one offering. 
And David got so overwhelmed, he says, God, who are we to do this? All we've done is give you what was already yours. And he was so blessed. He says, oh God, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of your people. You know what he was talking about? He's talking about helping them to remember it. You can't remember without an imagination. You know, if I asked you, where did you park your car? Most of you didn't write down. I see you walk out of here, you turn left, you go over two rows, you walk down 10 spaces and you don't just go walk up and down every row and see which one is your car. You know what? You remember because you've got a picture of where that car is. You've seen where that car is. You've got a mental image of it. If I was to ask you, what kind of house did you grow up in? Did you know you've got a mental image? You've got a picture of that house. And sometimes your image is different than reality. I know that I grew up in a place that not far from us, there were these woods. And when I was a little kid, we used to ride our bike through there and it would get so dark, even in daylight, the woods were so dense that it would, you, when you were riding into it, your eyes couldn't adjust. And it was just the neatest place. I imagined all kinds of things in there. It was a special place. And um, anyway... I went back and saw that when I was an adult. And in my mind, that thing was miles and miles and miles worth. I went back and saw it and I don't think they'd changed it. It was less than the size of this room, just a little area of some trees. And, but in my mind, see, I had it described one way. Your image that's on the inside can be affected. It can be polluted. It can be increased different things, but this is your imagination and you can't function without an imagination. It's absolutely necessary. And so this same word that is translated imagination, yester, is also translated mind. Like in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, look at this passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. Because he trusts in him. That's the exact same word that was translated imagination in these other places. The scripture here is talking about it has to be not just... When we say that you need to keep your mind stayed on the Lord, it's talking about more than just having uh, thoughts about God. It's talking about thinking about God until it paints an image on the inside. And it shows you something. And you begin to see things. And this is why a lot of people don't get the power that's in the word of God is because they only look on a surface level. They may have a a thought, but they don't really meditate until they see it on the inside. I don't know if you're following what I'm saying, but this is really, really important. This is one of the things that allows you to fulfill God's will. You can't live on a surface level. You've got to go beyond to the point that the word of God begins to literally change the way you see things with your heart. You know, I heard a story about a woman who was nearly blind. She was a pastor's wife and she had glasses that were so thick. They were like the bottom of a Coke bottle. She was legally blind without these glasses. And she had a uh, healing evangelist coming to their church. And she was, uh, she knew that this evangelist was going to want to pray for her. And she'd been prayed for so many times. She just didn't want to have it happen again. And so she decided that she'd try and avoid him. But he cornered her. He got her and he says, I want to pray for you. And he made her take her glasses off. 
And then he began to pray for her and command healing into her body. And so after he got through, he says, now, can you see? And she started to open her eyes and he said, shut your eyes. And she shut her eyes real quick, wondering what's he talking about? And so he said again, can you see? And she started to open her eyes and he said, shut your eyes. And she thought, what is this guy doing? How can I tell if I can see if I don't open my eyes? So the third time he says, now, can you see? And she started to open her eyes and he said, I did not tell you to open your eyes. You have to see yourself seeing on the inside before you can see it on the outside. What he was talking about is, can you in your imagination, can you see yourself seeing? Can you see yourself normal? And the lady finally understood what she, what he said. And so she just kept her eyes closed and began to pray in tongues. And within a few minutes, she says, I've got it. I can see myself seeing. And he says, now open your eyes. And her, she opened her eyes and they were totally healed. There's a lot of people see that miss what God has for them because they come and they say, pray for me. But you know what? They see themselves sick. They think sick. They've been sick so long. The sickness is not just in their body. The sickness is in their mind. It's in their emotions. And so they're just hoping that something will happen, but they don't, they don't have it on the inside. They don't see themselves well. They have thought and they kind of imagine, well, I'll probably walk out of here the same as I was. There probably isn't going to be any different. That's what they see. And the Bible says, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm trying to do this orderly. But anyway, I, I don't know. I'll just say it and hopefully I'll remember this and come back to it before the night's over. But hope is your imagination. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. And if you can't hope it first, you can't ever get it by faith. There's a lot of people that are trying to believe that they're healed, but they've never hoped that they're healed first. They don't have the image on the inside that they're healed. And their faith has nothing to motivate it and keep it on track. When it comes to fulfilling God's will and staying constant over a very long period of time, did you know one of the things you've got to do is have a strong hope, it says in Hebrews chapter 6, is the anchor of your soul. What is it that keeps you from being blown around and blown off course and missing the destination? You've got to have an anchor. Hope is an anchor of your soul. You need a vision, an image on the inside of you of something. And until you can see it on the inside, you can't see it on the outside. There may be some of you that you saw your parents or somebody else that died and they went through Alzheimer's. They got dementia. They had all kinds of sickness. They got weak and they got all of this. And you know what? You have seen that and you may not have consciously thought about it, but you've got an image on the inside that, well, this runs in my family. And you kind of halfway expect this. This is what you see. And you know what? It'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You need to take the Word of God and look at people like Moses. that was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated, nor his eyesight dim. And you need to say that he had an inferior covenant to what I've got. What I've got is greater. And if Moses could be 120 years old and still have good eyesight and be healthy, then praise God, I can do it. And that's the way you got to think. And with that, you've got to paint a picture and see yourself healthy and see yourself doing things. But there are some of us that when you get 40, you start talking about being over the hill. They give you black balloons. 
You start talking about things and anticipate and you've got an image. You see yourself bad. You look at people that are in their sixties or seventies or eighties or whatever. And you think, Oh man, I know I'm going to be like that. And you've embraced this image and it will become a self-fulfilling image, self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, also this exact same word that was translated mind here is also a word. It means if you look it up, that word yester, the Hebrew word, it means, uh, that, um, what does it mean? It means conception is the word. It means a, a form or conception is the word. And so your imagination is where you conceive things. Now, this is really important. You know, I'm not going to give a lesson here on anatomy. I'm going to assume that everybody understands all of this. And so I'll just refer to this quickly, but babe, the stork doesn't bring babies. Uh, if you don't understand that, ask somebody else. I'm not going to explain it, but, uh, you have to conceive babies. You don't get it by drinking the water after somebody else. You don't get pregnant. You have to conceive a baby. And if you want a child, it's got to be conceived. You can't just pray. You know, I've prayed with a couple of people this week about getting pregnant and having a child. But then I turned right around and tell them, I said, now this isn't going to be a virgin birth. I said, you've got a part to play. Faith without works is dead. You do your part. Amen. And there's a part that they have to play in this situation. And so you have to conceive a child. You can't just pray. You've got to conceive it. This, the scripture says that uh, this word yester for imagination in mind is where you conceive. Your imagination is where you conceive the things of God. And there are people that never take the word and meditate on it until they conceive something. They just pray. They throw a prayer out there. Oh God, heal me. Oh God, supply this need. Oh God, do this. But they don't have any conception. They're just praying that it'll come by the stork, that God will use me to bring it to them. That's not how it happens. You've got to recognize that it's your imagination where you conceive the things of God. And so you have to use your imagination to see yourself here. You know, when we moved into this previous building, we moved from a 14,600 square foot to a 110,000 square foot building. Only 10,000 square foot was finished out and the rest was vacant warehouse. And we had to uh, draw plans. I drew plans and of course an architect made good plans out of it. But then we put tape on the floor, duct tape. And I spent hundreds of hours walking in there. It was, a it was half of a mile, one trip around the perimeter of that building. And I would walk around and pray. And we had tape where every door was, where every wall was and everything. And I would walk around and I never stepped over the tape. I was seeing walls in that place. I was walking and praying and I said, I believe that the money's coming in. I command this auditorium to be finished. And I was praying over things and speaking. And you know what I was doing? Some people think this is strange, but I was helping my imagination. I would look at pictures and then I'd look at this tape and I'd walk around and I would see the walls up and I would see people in there. 
We had an auditorium that seats about 650, 700 people that we designed. And I put up uh, five-gallon buckets and put uh, plywood on top of it. And I stood there on top of this plywood and I preached. It was at night. It was dark. Nobody was in there. But I would preach. And I preached just like there was people in there. Some people think that's strange. But you know what? I was seeing it. I was seeing people getting changed. I was seeing things happen. And when we actually finished the building and we had the dedication, everybody was so excited because look what God has done. And they were shouting and praising. And I actually had one person come up and says, you don't seem excited. Says, aren't you excited? I said, I've seen this coming for over a year. I've already seen it. To me, it was anticlimactic to see it with my eyes because I'd seen it in my heart. I'd already conceived it. It's like when a woman gives birth. Yes, it's exciting, but at the same time, it's a great relief. Praise God, that's over, amen. You know what? When, when I saw the physical manifestation, it was like, thank God this is over. I knew it was coming now. Where's my next thing? I was looking for the next thing. I know some of you don't understand what I'm thinking about because life tries to beat this attitude out of us. There are very few visionaries today. When you grow up, they say, quit thinking in imagination. They call it fantasy. You know the difference between fantasy and imagination? Your imagination is your power or the process of seeing something that you can't see with your physical eyes. But fantasy is a delusion. It's imagining something that's not real. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking the word of God about what real reality is, the spiritual truths. And you have to see these things. There's a difference between a fantasy. That's not real. It's contrary to all natural uh, indicators. But imagination, a sanctified, godly imagination is the conception part of you. It's the creative part of you. It's the part of you that has vision. With that, where there is no vision, the people perish. When you're talking about vision, you aren't talking about that you're physically seeing something with your eyes. You're seeing with your heart. You have the ability to see things that other people can't see. I've prayed with people this week that I saw them healed. I saw God touching their heart. God has shown me parts of a person's body before that are wrong. And I see it, not with my physical eyes. I can see it. I get a mental picture. Like if you were to say dog right now, you don't think D-O-G, you see a dog. And most of you will see a dog that you currently have or that you used to have, something that's relative to you. With my words, I can change that picture and I can change your image. I can say a big dog and immediately some of you that were thinking of a small dog have to change your image. But see, when I say dog, you think of a dog, but you see this dog and you think in pictures like that. You are seeing something that can't be seen. And what you've got to do is to take the word and translate it into, get it, let it get down into your mind, the creative part of your mind, your imagination, to where you see yourself successful. You have a vision. And you see yourself that, praise God, I'm going to lay hands on the sick. Praise God, I will start this company. Praise God, our needs are met. Praise God, this marriage is healed. But see, if you don't glorify God, if you don't put the right worth and value on God and on the things he's done, and if you aren't thankful, which thankfulness forces you to think on the good instead of the negative. 
If you don't do those two things, then Romans 1.21 says your imagination becomes vain. It's just automatic. Instead of your imagination being creative and conceiving good things, it only conceives bad. There are some of you that have been told since the time you were a little kid that you'll never amount to anything. You're a failure. That you never were the favorite. Maybe they told you that they didn't plan on you. You were a mistake. And you know what? You get images on the inside of what you can do and who you are. There are some of you because of the color of your skin, because of your lack of education, because you were brought up on the wrong side of the track because of any number of things. You form an image and you have an image on the inside of you of who you are and what you can do. And it becomes a ceiling that you just can't go above it. Maybe your talents could enable you to go above it, but you won't let it. You'll find a way to destroy yourself. You know, this very good friend of mine, Don Crow, his dad was a mean man. I meant him. And he was a mean man. And he, he did terrible things to the kid. And uh, he beat him and just browbeat him. And one of the things, they had a lot of cars on their property. And he used to work on cars and he would make his son Don work with him. And he told Don, he says, you're so stupid, you can't screw a nut on a bolt without cross-threading it. And did you know Don, he's now, he's just about as old as I am. His dad committed suicide and left a suicide note saying it's your fault to all of his family and friends and tried to put a guilt trip on them. And I have worked with Don on cars multiple times. And I have never seen Don put a nut on a bolt that he didn't cross-thread it. He'll put it on and it'll be okay. And he, he'll be shaking and he'll say, I think I've cross-threaded. And he'll take it off and put it back on and do it. And he'll do it five or six or ten times until eventually he'll cross-thread the bolt. Because you know what? He had an image painted on the inside and that is an area that he's weak in. And some of you have been cursed. You may not call it that, but that's what it is. You've been cursed or you've cursed yourself. Or you've done some really stupid stuff and you have just, you see yourself in a certain way and your imagination is vain. You don't see yourself being who God says you are. God says you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, but you don't see it. You see yourself as nobody. And then you have religion come along and reinforce it. That you are nobody and that you're unworthy and what makes you think God would do anything for you. And life comes along and just reinforces all of these negative images. I tell you, if you would begin to glorify God, like I talked about last night, if you would become thankful and really put the proper worth and value and just glorify God, then what happens is your imagination just comes alive. And instead of working against you and and conceiving all of these negative things, you start conceiving positive things instead of negative things. That's what your imagination is for. You know, I got around Oral Roberts last year and I'm a visionary and he's a visionary. And some people take offense when I say something. I've had people criticize me. How dare you associate with Oral Roberts? Don't you know he was wrong here? And they, you know, just keep your opinion to yourself as far as I'm concerned. I don't agree with everything Oral Roberts did, but it's like a person. If you're driving on the interstate and if somebody is five hours ahead of you, You know what? It doesn't matter if they're the greatest person, if they did everything right. If they're five hours ahead of you going down the same road, they could tell you whether the road is closed, if there's a wreck, where there's a place to eat, where a a service station is. If they're ahead of you, they're ahead of you and you could learn something from it. 
Some of you are too prejudiced and biased to listen to anybody who hasn't got it all right. <laughs> Major newsflash. You hadn't got it all right either. <laughs> Amen. I don't have it all right. I learned some things from him. And I got around Oral Roberts and he started talking about how God spoke things to him and stuff. And it just made my imagination come alive. And I started dreaming and it was just a matter of months until God had made this major move and we moved into the next step because you know what? I got around somebody who was talking vision and it made me start dreaming big. Most of us think so small, you aim at nothing and you hit it every single time, amen. You need to get to where you're aiming for the stars and if you miss, you hit the moon. That's more than most people do. When we moved into our building, I had somebody come up and we tried to move in in August. We didn't make it until November. And it was a, dis, uh, it, it was a problem with our school. It, it put us into a bind. And for a few months, we, we had porta-potties outside that the, peop, that the guys had to use so that all the women could use the indoor toilets. And it was an inconvenience and there was problems. And so when we moved in, I had somebody come and say, so were you, were you really disappointed that you didn't make it in August? And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I've never done anything perfectly in my life. I said, I raised uh, $3.2 million debt-free above our normal expenses in 14 months. I think this is a smashing success. If I was three months late, no big deal, man. <laughs> Praise God. It doesn't bother me. But there are some people, see, that just look at the negative side of everything. I still had a great miracle come in. It may not have been as quickly as it could have been, should have been, but it worked. You have to focus on the positive things. So your imagination is essential. Most of us do not allow our imagination to function. We get so busy with the things of this world. We just sit down and we constantly are watching television, listening to a radio, doing something and letting other people preach at us. You know, for your imagination to work, you need to have some downtime and just be quiet. Be still and know that he is God. You need to just spend some time being quiet and letting your imagination run wild. And you'd be amazed what you could conceive. And once you see it on the inside, you'll see it on the outside. In the New Testament, the same word that is translated imagination in Luke chapter 1 verse 51 is translated understanding in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18. And in Ephesians 4:18, it says they have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Man, there's so many scriptures I could use in the word about your understanding, about how wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all you're getting, get understanding. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, if they don't understand, Satan comes and steals away the word that was sown in their heart. This is understanding is like how you get something down on the inside of you. Most people don't ever let truths get past their understanding. They store it in their little uh, software up here. They may be able to recall facts, but they haven't got understanding because they haven't thought until it's conceived a picture. You know what I'm saying is really powerful. Most people just don't see the power of this and they don't, 
they don't appreciate what I'm saying, but I'm telling you, these are things that God has done in my life that have kept me on track and keep me stabil- give me stability is because I meditate on things until I see them. You know, David could tell you that when we were raising the money for this building, I knew that I was going to have to say something to our partners. And time was of the essence. You know, one of the reasons that we were three months late moving in is because for about three or four months, I just sat on it. And I just thought, and I prayed, and I meditated. I knew that eventually God was going to use people. I didn't have $3.2 million, so people were going to be involved. But I didn't want to just say something or do something. I wanted, God, what do you want me to do? And I had to see it. I sat and sat and sat until I got inspired. And then God told me, here's how you do it. And and once I could see it, then I could see it. Then it would come to pass. I wait until I see things on the inside before I move. That is really powerful. And it's amazing how most people don't live their life this way. They ignore this imagination. To most people, imagination is a vague concept and they certainly don't encourage it. There's a man named Peter Daniels who's a multimillionaire and travels and speaks. And one of the things he does is one day a week he takes off and just thinks. He won't allow himself to do anything, to conduct any business. He spends one day a week thinking. You know what that is? That's fueling his imagination do an inventory about where I am. If we continue at this rate, where are we going? He sees things, he gets things, and because of it, he's a multimillionaire. We would be much better off if instead of letting other people just spoon feed us and cram things down our throat all the time, you need to spend time encouraging imagination. Say, God, what do you have for me? My parents said, I'll never amount to anything, and so far they are right on. (laughs) But what is your plan for me? What does the word say about me? And pray and let the Holy Spirit give you an image of what he wants you to do and what he wants you to accomplish and what kind of person he wants you to be. See it on the inside. And if you could see it on the inside, then you'll become that on the outside. There are a lot of you that have a negative image and you know what? You are becoming exactly that. You think you can do nothing and it's absolutely true. You've got to get this imagination dealt with. That's the part of you that understands You know, when I was a kid even, I remember reading about David and Goliath. And before I understood any of these scriptures, you know, one of the things I did was go out and mark nine foot, nine inches on a tree, which is what most of the scholars believed Goliath was. And then David was about five foot tall. So I bent over and got it five foot so that I could look at that and get an image of what was going on. Some people think, well, why would you do that? I guarantee you the story of David And Goliath has become more real to me and more alive. And I've gotten more out of it than most of you in here because I have done things like this. I'll read the information and then I close my eyes and I sit there and I see David doing these things. When we were on our Israeli tour that we took, they stopped and it was hot at the Valley of Elah where David fought Goliath. And they said, does anybody want out? And it was hot. Nobody wanted out but me. (laughs) I got out. I walked down to that little stream that ran through and I picked up five little stones and I stood there and looked around and thought about what it would be like to face Goliath with five little stones. Some people think, well, why would you do that? It just makes my imagination come alive. 
Some people don't know how to verbalize it, but this is why when people go to the Holy Land, all of a sudden they say, the Bible is so real, it just made the Bible come alive. You know why? Because it engaged your imagination. All of a sudden, now, Emmaus wasn't just a name in a book. You've been there. You've seen how close it is to Jerusalem. You've seen the path. And all of a sudden, you come alive thinking about these two disciples walking on that exact road. And all of a sudden, Jesus is with them. You're in the place where John baptized Jesus. You see Mount Calvary. And all of a sudden, because you can see it, the Word just comes alive to you. There's a lot of people that read the Bible with their head and not with their imagination, not with their heart. And that's the reason that it doesn't minister to you. You got to swallow it. You not only got to hear the things of God, but you got to take it and then let, let meditate on it until it paints a picture, until you see what is happening. Man, that is a powerful truth. I've given you a nugget right there that's worth the entire weekend. That's your imagination. And very few people meditate on the word. They got 10 chapters they're going to read so that they can fill out their thing and make God obligated to move in their life. And they just run through it as quick as they can. And they got to hurry up so that they don't miss their favorite show on television. And you're just reading words and putting information in your brain, but it never gets down into your heart. It never gets into your imagination. You never see anything. You don't let it become alive. Man, you need to see you know, when I, when I started believing for people to be raised from the dead, I read John chapter 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. You know one reason I can quote scripture? I never have tried to memorize that scripture. Never. I don't memorize scripture. But you know what? I meditate on it. I read it. And I think about it. Father, can I do the same things that Jesus did? And I'll think about it until I see it. And I'll read about him raising Lazarus from the dead. And I, I read about him yelling, come forth and all. And I stand there and I see myself saying, come forth, speaking to a dead body and commanding it to come alive. I read that verse and it inspired me to start believing for miracles, which included raising from the dead and everything else. And you can ask my wife, before we saw the first person raised from the dead for six months, I dreamed, I had meditated on this so much. I had seen it on the inside as I read scripture that for six months, I raised a dozen people from the dead every night in my dreams. I would dream about just going in and emptying morgues. And I, I, that's all I dreamed about was seeing people raised from the dead. And then all of a sudden, I saw my first person raised from the dead. And some people don't make the connection. But some of you have never dreamed of raising a person from the dead. Instead, you dream and think about, oh man, I could never do this. This is the way you see yourself. And you wonder why you never see it come to pass. You pray and ask for it, but you've never seen it. You got to see it until it becomes so real, you dream about it. And you know, after I'd seen two people raised from the dead, it had been 10 or 15 years or something. I forget the exact time, but I was thinking one day, you know, I used to just meditate on this until I dreamed about it. And I said, I need to go back and once again, just get my imagination going about seeing people raised from the dead. And I started doing this, just felt inspired of God that, you know what? I still need to see people raised from the dead. And I started dreaming about it and having dreams about raising people from the dead. And then my own son died 
and he was dead for four and a half hours. And praise God, we were able to pray and see him come back to life with no brain damage, no more than he had before. Praise God. And I was just able to take him and my oldest son and my granddaughter who was born a year after he was raised from the dead uh, to Disney World just a couple of weeks ago. And it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have been meditating on these things. And a lot of people, see, don't go through this process. They want the miracle power of God and they pray for it. But inside they are defeated. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They don't see it. And they can't understand why is it not coming to pass. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. And again, that word think there is talking about the mind. That same word that was translated mind in Isaiah 26, 3 was translated imagination. I believe it's got to be in your imagination that you see these things. And most people's imagination is vain because they haven't been glorifying God and they aren't thankful. If you will start glorifying God and being thankful, it will make your imagination resurrect and start you being used in a positive way. And then, you know, I, I researched every time that the word imagination is used in the Bible. And with the exception of that one verse in 1 Chronicles 29, 18, where it talks about keep this in the imagination, the thoughts of the imagination of men's hearts. With the exception of that one instance, did you know that the word imagination is negative every time? It's negative. It says God saw that the imagination of men's hearts were only evil continually, that he destroyed them in the imagination of their thoughts. He, he rebuked them over their imaginations. Imagination isn't used in a positive way. In the New Testament, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Imaginations there are talked about as being negative. And I was meditating on this and think, God, if, if imagination is this powerful, like for instance in uh, Genesis chapter 8, or excuse me, it's Genesis chapter 11, God came down to see the Tower of Babel. And he says, man, the people are one, they're united. And now nothing that they have imagined will be restrained unto them. Right there, the Lord was threatened by the cumulative imagination of man. And so he divided our tongues so that we couldn't be in unity anymore. Now that's amazing that God would be threatened. His purposes would be threatened by the imagination of man. I'm telling you, your imagination is powerful. If you can imagine, he said, nothing that they can imagine can be restrained. I could get plumb off the subject right here. But you know, I've got a vivid imagination. And I've been praying, and anyway, I won't bore you with all the details, but I believe that the Lord has shown me how to levitate things like cars. I'm, I, I've got it in my imagination, and I don't think that I'll probably ever do anything with it because that's not what God called me to do, but I could explain it to you if I had time. And I, one day you'll see this. One day you'll see things like we have these things where spaceships just hover, and they just sit there, and there's, I, I believe I can understand how to do that. That is a natural phenomenon. They already do it with superconductivity. 
You can pass electric current through something that's cooled over 270 degrees below freezing and uh, metal and things will just float. And they don't float and fall off. They just float. It's already being done on small scale. I believe that anything we imagine can be done. That is an amazing statement. That shows you the power. God was threatened by the imagination of people. If imagination is this powerful, how come it's not talked about in anything except a negative light? Why, are there, aren't, why is it always spoken of as being a bad force? I prayed about that. And you know what the Lord showed me? Look at this in Romans chapter 8. To me, this was God's answer to this. In Romans chapter 8 and in verse uh, verse 24, it says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. I was studying that one day and the Lord says, Hope is seeing something that you can't see. Hope that is seen isn't hope. It's no longer hope if it's seen. Hope is seeing something with your heart that you can't see with your eyes. And as I thought on that, I thought, well, that's what imagination is, is the ability to see something not present. It's the ability to see with your heart. And I really believe, I could spend more time on this, but I really believe that hope is the scriptural word for a positive imagination. Hope is your imagination working for you instead of against you. And you have to have a strong hope. The scripture says that he gave us all of these promises. Hebrews chapter 6, that we might have a strong hope who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the things of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It has to be in hope first. Faith only provides what hope has already seen. You know, right now there's air conditioning in this room. And there is a power unit, a condenser and stuff that produces this air conditioning. But you know what turns on that power? Is a thermostat. Just a little thermostat. That, it's like thermostat is the hope. Faith is the power that makes things come to pass. I heard Charles Capps one time tell a story. It's probably made up, but he, he, he said that there was a guy that went to a meeting from the hills of West Virginia and he, you know, had never been around modern things and he came down to go to this meeting and he was in a meeting and hundreds of people there and all of a sudden he got hot and he was fanning himself and this usher walks up and turns this little box on the wall and all of a sudden he starts feeling cool air. And he was just overwhelmed. And he he went and got that usher. And he says, what did you do? And he says, what do you mean? And he says, well, you turned that little thing on the wall and cold air started coming. And he says, well, that's a thermostat. And he says, a thermostat. He says, can I get a thermostat? And he says, you can get a thermostat at any hardware store. So this guy goes and buys a thermostat, goes up into the hills, puts it on his wall. And when he gets hot, he turns it. And nothing happens. Because there wasn't an air conditioning unit that was behind that thermostat. The thermostat doesn't cool this room, but the thermostat turns on the power that cools this room. 
And likewise, faith only produces what hope has already done. And you've got to get into hope or into a positive imagination to where you are seeing things happen. And when you can see it in your heart, then faith kicks in to bring it to pass. And likewise, if your thermostat is negative, see, faith is a heating and cooling unit. It'll go in either direction. And if your thermostat, if your hope is negative or it's a negative imagination and what you see is failure, I'm going to die. The doctor says I'm going to die. And if that's what you're seeing, you know, your faith will start working to bring that to pass. Faith will work for you or against you. If you have a negative image, everything in you will start working to create and make that negative image come to pass. You've got to begin to take the word of God and create a hope. Hope comes through the word of God. Hope is the first steps of faith. You've got to, first of all, get an image and see yourself doing what God told you to do and see yourself succeeding. And very few people go to the effort. They just read the Bible on a surface level and they don't let it sink down and begin to paint a picture on the inside. And because of it, our imagination is vain. It's working against us instead of for us. And notice also it says we're saved by hope, but hope, this is talking about your imagination that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And then in verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. If you were here on Friday morning, I taught on patience and how powerful patience is. Faith is patience is just faith over a prolonged period of time. And you've got to You've got to endure. You can't just have a spurt of faith. You've got to have faith over a prolonged period of time and you've got to maintain it and endure. And I talked about patience. Did you know patience and hope or your imagination is linked? If you have a strong hope, a strong imagination, you know what? It can become so strong that it doesn't matter how long it takes. You just have patience. Because it is so real. You know that you know that you know that you've got it. You just know it. You know, we have this woman, Mercy Santos, that I played her video on our television. She was healed of um, multiple sclerosis. And one of the things she said was that everybody told her she'd never walk again. She was in a wheelchair. She'd never be healed. And yet she says, I knew it. I knew it. I saw myself healed. She needed somebody to come along and tell her some things and help her and activate her faith. But she saw herself well. And despite everything, even though she was getting worse and worse and worse and in a wheelchair, she still saw herself healed. That's hope. And you've got to have, hope won't get you healed. But hope will provide the motivation for your faith to get you healed. And you've got to do that. Sometimes you just need to be realistic and say, you know what? I'm not to a place where I can really believe that I'm going to be healed right now. But I'm in the process of hoping. I'm building my hope. I'm beginning to start painting an image on the inside that I'll be well. I had a man one time that had uh, cancer of the pubic bone. And he had his pubic bone right here in his hip removed, surgically removed. And he came to me, and anyway, it's a long story, but... He got healed, went back to the Mayo Clinic, said that he was totally free of cancer. There was no trace of cancer. And he wanted to believe that his pubic bone would grow back. You know, that's that's, uh, pretty strong. 
I had a man come tonight that had his leg amputated because of cancer and he wanted to pray that it would be repaired and put back. That's pretty strong faith to grow something back that was cut out. And anyway, he got a picture from an encyclopedia of what your skeleton looks like. He saw the part that was cut out and he started, he had a picture of it. He put pictures up and started seeing his pubic bone grow back. And you know, in a short period of time, his pubic bone that was removed grew back. Because he saw it on the inside and it came to pass on the outside. We just, I tell you, brothers and sisters, God made us so much powerful. We are living in such a substandard place to what God intended mankind to be. And most of us just don't have a clue how powerful we are. Man, you have power to raise the dead on the inside of you. But in the, I can show you scriptures that say that, but it doesn't matter what the scriptures say or whether you can quote them or not. Have you seen yourself raising the dead? Have you seen yourself standing against the devil and overcoming? Can you see demons fleeing from you? They fled from Jesus. Do you see demons fleeing from you? See, you got to take the word until it, you see this is not only what happened to them, it's what happened to you. You got to see yourself doing this. This is hope. And now you could take all of the scriptures on hope and talk about how powerful that is. That's just your imagination working. And I'm telling you, your imagination is a byproduct of whether you've truly put worth and value on the things of God and put it on Him and not on the things of this world. Whether or not you've been thankful. If you do those two things, your imagination will just come alive and you'll start seeing things differently than what you've ever seen them. And the next step, it says in Romans 1.21, if your imagination is vain, then your foolish heart is darkened. And that's talking about a hardened heart. I've got a teaching that goes along with that. And once your heart is hardened, man, you are separated from the life of God. Ephesians 4.18 again says that they were, they, their understanding was darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the, what does that say? Through the blindness of their hearts, talking about a darkened heart. It's just progressive steps away from God. And sad to say, most Americans, most American Christians live somewhere between steps three and four. Their imagination is only seeing bad things. If the doctor tells you you're going to die, you say, no, I'm healed in the name of Jesus. And then you start in your mind planning your funeral, seeing yourself dead, wondering, is anybody going to cry for me? What songs will they sing at my funeral? How are my kids going to? And that's what you see. And because of it, your foolish heart is darkened. We just aren't able to see. And I can't understand the word of God because you're only reading it with your brain. You aren't letting God quicken your imagination and stuff. We are living on such a surface level. For you to get deeper, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to start obeying God. You're going to have to get into the Word of God. You're going to have to glorify Him, be thankful, and your imagination will come alive. And you can get such a strong hope. You are so focused on your future and what God has promised you that you don't look to the right or to the left. You aren't like Peter who looked off and saw the wind and the waves, but instead you stay on target. You stay on track. You're focused on God. I could go on and on. I hadn't got any more time tonight, but your imagination, it motivates you. As you think in your heart, that's the way that you are. Many of you don't have a focus. You aren't shooting at anything. You aren't going anywhere. 
There's nothing that you want to accomplish. Maybe you've already accomplished your goals. Maybe you already live in a nice house. Maybe you've already got retirement. You don't have to worry about anything and you're just coasting. Man, you'll get old in a hurry. You'll die quickly. You need to always have a vision out in front of you. You need to always have something going. Man, it makes my juices flow when God shows me that we're going to build this auditorium and we're going to do these things. And I get out there and I walk around that property and I pray. And you know what? I'm seeing buildings going up. I love it. It's actually more exciting to imagine it than it is to see it. Let me give you one last story about how you can see with your heart. Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Things that are seen are temporary, but things that aren't seen are eternal. You know, if you stop and meditate on that and think about it, that's a strong passage of scripture. He says, I'm looking at things that can't be seen. If they can't be seen, why, how's he looking at them? With his heart. And you know, we had a situation, we had a deal where we were in um, Colorado Springs holding a uh, meeting for our Bible college and Cindy and Gail were there and I always get it confused who did what. But anyway, I remember these two were there at that and I was sitting in a seat just like this. There was a center aisle. It was a um, hotel and over here on this side were double doors that were on these springs that when you opened them, they would close slowly. And anyway, we got into the presence of the Lord. Jamie was singing hallelujah. And it was just powerful. People were just worshiping God. And I had my eyes closed. And in my imagination, just if you said like picture a dog in exactly the same way as right now, I've got a picture of a dog, a dog that I had. Just like I saw that, I was standing there with my eyes closed and all of a sudden I saw Jesus walk in those two doors and just open those doors like that and swing them open and stand inside. And he stood there while those doors just closed behind him. My eyes were closed. I was seeing this in my imagination, in my mind. I saw that happen. And then he stood there for a while and looked around and then he walked over and I may get it wrong, but it was either Gail or Cindy. He walked over and just touched one of them and boom, they fell on the floor like this and just started praising God and worshiping God. And then there was two people in between them, skipped two people, walked over and touched the other one and they hit their knees and lifted their hands and started worshiping God. And it was so real what I was seeing in my mind's eye that I actually opened my physical eyes to see if I could see it. And when I opened my eyes, those two doors just went bam like that and flew open. But I couldn't see anybody, but I could see the doors open. And then they just slowly closed. And then one of those ladies just hit her face and fell flat on the floor. Was that you, Gail? That was Gail. She just fell flat on her face before the Lord. And then I watched and in just a moment, here's Cindy hit her knees and started praising God. Everything I was seeing in my imagination, I saw in the physical, except it was delayed and I couldn't see Jesus. All I could see was the physical things that were happening. I could actually see better in my imagination than I could see with my eyes. I could see it in advance and I could see what was going on behind the scenes. So you know what I did? I closed my eyes. 
And I just started seeing. And I saw Jesus came over and stood beside me and ministered to me. And then I saw him walk down the aisle and touch people. And I kept my eyes closed because I could see it better on the inside than I could see with my eyes. And after the service was over, I went up to people that I saw him touch. And I said, so what happened? And they'd tell me. And it was exactly what I'd seen in my heart. Some of you think that's weird. That's the way that God made us to be. The way that most people operate is weird. The way that most of us only see what you can see with your eyes is substandard to what God created Adam and Eve to be. He made us to be so much more than what we are. And most of us are going through this life half blind, only seeing with your eyes. And it's just inevitable that you're going to fall over something. You're going to have a problem because we aren't seeing with our heart. If you would get into the presence of God, you can see better with your heart. You can see things in your imagination. Maybe everything tells you your business is going to fail, but in your heart, you've let the word of God paint a picture and you've got an image on the inside and it just, you just can't help it. This is what you see, you know, in the natural If I was to allow myself, or I'm sure there's other people that could come and tell me, you are stupid, 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 stupid for trying to believe for $40 million. You put yourself on the chopping block. You could destroy this whole ministry that you've got. You know what? If I was to sit down and only think with my brain and not think with my heart and let God influence me, I could be intimidated. I could stay up at night, lose sleep thinking, oh God, how are we going to do this? But the way that God has done things, the way that he's grown me, I can see this. I already see it. I see it. And even though I can't tell you how it's going to come to pass, it will come to pass. You hide and watch. There are some of you sitting right here thinking, oh yeah, sure. Sure, it's going to come to pass. I don't believe it. You don't believe. You don't see the way I see. But you hide and watch. Three or four years from now, we'll have that facility and we'll have these things. And when it happens, if you were going to be honest, you ought to at least say, I was wrong. And you ought to humble yourself and you ought to adopt this mindset. Hopefully you won't have to wait until you can see it with your physical eyes. Hopefully you can see some things with your heart. But you can get to where you live. This is how I live. I see things that I can't see. And because of it, I'm seeing things with my eyes that other people don't see come to pass because I've already conceived it in my imagination. This is how you live. Nobody is as blind as a person who's only using their physical sight and going by what they can see. Nobody is as blind as the person who only says, but the doctor says this. And you are only going by what you see in your body, what you feel in your body. You aren't using everything that God's given you. You need to get to where you see yourself well, where you see yourself doing these things. That's what faith is. Faith is an ability to see things that you can't see. And your imagination, hope is used in that. And I'm telling you, this is powerful. If you are going to fulfill God's will for your life, you've got to have a vision. Where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, 28, I believe it is, where there is no vision, the people perish Many, many people are perishing because they don't have a vision. They don't see anything. They're just stumbling through life. They're like a pinball. 
you just launch it and it just boing boing. It depends on what it hits. It just bounces around and, well, I lost my job here and so I put out a resume and they hired me over here and you're just letting circumstances dictate you. You don't have a purpose for your life. You've never heard God say, this is what I made you for. You've never sat down and conceived it. You aren't sitting in the driver's seat. You're just hanging on to the bumper, getting drugged where life is leading you, beat up along the way. You need to have a purpose for your life. You need to hear from God. You need to start learning how to hear God's voice and then set a goal and do something constructive with your life. Man, make it so that when your turn is up and you're gone, somebody misses you. There's some of you that if you were to die, people would say, phew, man, I won't have to listen to those gripes and complaints anymore. If you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You ought to be out there on the ledge, amen. You know what? The fruit grows out on the limb. You can't be a truck hunk, trunk hugger and bear fruit. You got to get out on the limb where you're blowing in the breeze, amen, hanging on for dear life, saying, oh God, what have I done, amen? That's where fruit grows. You need to get out of the safety and security and get a vision and go to do something. Man, I hope I've stirred you up. I hope I've got you fired up. Thank you, Jesus. Go back and start glorifying God and recognizing, God, look what you've done in my life. Thank you that I'm saved. And if worse comes to worse, I'm going to heaven for eternity. Start thanking God, magnify him and get to where you are just glorifying God constantly. And when you do that, it's not going to happen in the first 24 hours. It may not happen in the first week. Some of us have gone so far down in this direction that it may take you a month or two or a year to get back to normal. But if you would just make a lifestyle and start glorifying God and being thankful, I guarantee you it's going to be just a short period of time and your imagination is going to come alive. And your heart's not going to be darkened anymore. Instead, you'll begin to start hearing things and seeing things that you couldn't see before. And God will start directing you and you will fulfill his will for your life if you can get over into that area where your imagination is working for you instead of against you. Boy, this is really powerful. It's really powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit takes these truths that I've shared and that you burn this into people's hearts. That, Father, we won't forget it. That we won't go back to being normal. That, Father, we won't just get to where we're just following along in the line headed to destruction and to nothingness. That, Father, we would realize our full potential. That our imagination would come alive and we'd begin to get a vision of what you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. I hear the Lord saying to me that there are some of you that have been, the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you and He stirred you up. And you're going to leave this place with a holy dissatisfaction. You thought your life was okay before you came here, but you know what? God stirred you up. And you're going to leave and you're going to go back and look at things and think, why am I spending so much effort doing something that isn't going to affect eternity? Some of you have got a holy dissatisfaction. 
and you aren't going to be able to pray it away. It's God trying to stir you up to say that there's more. I made you for more than what you're encountering. It's not about just going out and making enough money to satisfy all of your lust and desires. You've got a purpose. God's put a holy dissatisfaction in some of you here. And I believe that God's calling you to more. He's calling you to more than what you've been doing. Is there anybody here that would verify that and say, yep, I've been stirred up and man, I'm shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. You know, all of us can believe for more. This thing that I'm doing is not the last thing that God will ever call me to do. God's plans for us are so big. I'm not sure that we could ever obtain it in a lifetime. So everybody should be stirred up. But some of you are already on the way. Some of you are already moving in the right direction. You hadn't arrived, but you've left. But there are some of you in here that you hadn't even left. Some of you in here just have not been doing anything and God has stirred you up. You know, if that's you and you're saying, man, I need to do an about face. God needs to touch my life. I need to, my life needs to change. I'd like you to be humble enough, honest enough just to stand right now and say, that's me and I want prayer. I'm going to pray for you and I believe that God is going to start doing something miraculous in your life and change the course of your life. I want you to be honest. This is people that, there's some here that have already started in that direction. That doesn't mean you've fulfilled everything, but you know that you're, you're moving in the right direction. But these are people that are saying, I'm not moving in the right direction. I'm not moving. And I need to do something. Anybody else? You know, this is the majority of people. And if the majority of people in here haven't really reached this level, no wonder things aren't working better for you. No wonder there's not a satisfaction and a joy and a peace in your life because God made you for more than what most people are living in. You don't have to look any further than this to understand a lot of things that are going on in your life. And tonight, the scripture says that you make yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and then you renew your mind, you will prove the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. What you're doing here is saying, God... I'm yielding myself to you. You made me for more than what I'm experiencing. I'm making a decision tonight that, praise God, I'm going to change. I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to wait until you reveal things to me and I'm going to start moving in your direction. I'm going to put you first in my life. And as you do that, it says in 1 Chronicles 16, 9, that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those that are perfect in his sight. God's here tonight. The Spirit of the Lord is in this room looking. Is there people that will make a commitment that will yield their life to me? And you know what? If you're really sincere from your heart, God knows and God is going to start moving in your life. Things are going to escalate quickly. Quickly. Some of you are going to be transformed. By the time you get home, your imagination is going to start conceiving things and you're going to start dreaming big. Man, there's going to be some major things happen in your lives. Father, I thank you for all of these people. Thank you, Father, that you've stirred them up. Thank you, Father, that you've placed within them a desire to not be normal anymore. Not be just like they were. Father, we want your best. We want your will. We want to fulfill your will. We want to walk in the Spirit. We want to begin to dream big. 
Father, to reach our full potential. And these people are making this decision. We lay ourselves on the altar. And Jesus, we make ourselves a living sacrifice. We can't do it on our own. We just lay ourselves on the altar and we ask the fire of God to fall from heaven right now and consume these sacrifices. Father, light a fire on the inside of them. Set them on fire right now to where the things of this world will not dominate them and consume them. To where they'll lose their lust for the fame and the fortune and all of the things that motivate so many people. Father, we just want to know you and to make you known. We make that decision and we believe that you're holding us to it. That Father, tomorrow when we wake up, you'll remind us of this. Monday when we wake up and go to work, that you'll remind us of this, Father, and that we will begin to start thinking about how can my life make a difference. That we'll begin to be thankful for what you've done. And Father, we just believe that right now the Holy Spirit is touching people's lives, that miracles are happening in here. Not just physical miracles, but miracles in our emotions, in our vision, in our imagination. Thank you for touching people. Thank you that people's lives are being changed here tonight. That we're never going to be the same. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we believe that you accept these sacrifices. And that we'll look back at this day and realize that our life took a turn for the better. But this is a turning point in our life. And Father, we thank you. We receive it and believe that that's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.